Lesson 2 for October 7 through to 13, ready for class on Sabbath, October 14. The Controversy. Sabbath afternoon, October 7. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again in the book of Romans, and here we find exciting stories, we find exciting developments about your love for us and what it means. And as we do so, we pray that our minds may be clear. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. And may we see Jesus, our Saviour, in a newer and more precious light. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is John chapter 1 and verse 17. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. Let's read that again, John 1 verse 17. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. The early church was composed mostly of Jews who never for a moment thought that by accepting the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, they were somehow turning away from the faith of their fathers or the covenant promises that God had made to his people. As it turns out, they were right. The issue for the early Jewish believers was whether Jews had to become Christians in order to accept Jesus. The other issue for many of them was whether Gentiles had to become Jews before they could accept Christ. Only later in the Jerusalem Council was there a firm answer. They made the decision not to trouble the Gentiles with a host of regulations and laws. That is, Gentiles didn't need to become Jews first in order to accept Jesus. Despite the decision, however, some teachers continued to plague the churches by insisting that Gentile converts to the faith were required to keep these laws and rules, including circumcision, not exactly a procedure that would make joining Christianity particularly appealing for an adult. That is, they thought, that these Gentiles, in order to be partakers of the covenant promises, had to abide by many of the rules and regulations that were deemed a prerequisite for partakers of the Commonwealth of Israel. What were the issues, and how were they to be resolved? Sunday, October 8. A Better Covenant. Question. Read Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. What is the message here? How do we understand what these better promises are? Hebrews 8 verse 6. But now he has anointed a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. What is the message here? How do we understand what these better promises are? Perhaps the greatest difference between the religion of the Old Testament and that of the New is the fact that the New Testament era was introduced by the coming of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. He was sent by God to be the Saviour. People could not ignore him and expect to be saved. Only through the atonement he provided could their sins be forgiven. 
Only by the imputation of his perfect life could they stand before God without condemnation. In other words, salvation was through the righteousness of Jesus and nothing else. Old Testament saints looked forward to the blessings of the Messianic age and the promise of salvation. In New Testament times, the people were confronted with the question, would they accept Jesus of Nazareth, whom God had sent as the Messiah, their Saviour? If they believed in him, that is, if they accepted him for who he truly was and committed themselves to him, they would be saved through the righteousness that he offered them freely. Meanwhile, the moral requirements remain unchanged in the New Testament because these were founded in the character of God and of Christ. Obedience to God's moral law is just as much a part of the New Covenant as it is of the Old Testament. Question. Read Matthew chapter 19, verse 17, Revelation 12, 17, Revelation 14, 12, and James 2, 10 to 11. What do these texts tell us about the moral law in the New Testament? Matthew 19, verse 17 says, So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Revelation 12.17 And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Revelation 14.12 Here is the patience of the saints, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And James 2, verses 10 and 11. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. At the same time, the entire body of ritual and ceremonial laws that were distinctly Israelite and were distinctly tied to the Old Covenant, which all pointed to Jesus and to his death and ministry as high priest, were discontinued, a new order was introduced, one based on better promises. Helping both Jew and Gentile to understand what was involved in this transition from Judaism to Christianity was one of Paul's principal aims in the book of Romans. It would take time to make the transition. Many Jews who had accepted Jesus were still not ready for the great changes that were coming. And so to finish the day, what are some of your favourite Bible promises? How often do you claim them? What choices are you making that can stand in the way of having these promises fulfilled in your life? Monday, October 9. Jewish Laws and Regulations As time allows, skim through the book of Leviticus. See, for instance, Leviticus chapter 12, chapter 16, and chapter 23. 
What thoughts come to your mind as you read all these rules and regulations and rituals? Why would many of these be all but impossible to follow in New Testament times? It is convenient for us to classify Old Testament laws into various categories. 1. Moral law. 2. Ceremonial law. 3. Civil law. 4. Statutes and judgments. and 5. Health laws. This classification is in part artificial. In actuality, some of these categories are interrelated, and there is considerable overlap. The ancients did not see them as separate and distinct. The moral law is summed up by the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. This law sums up the moral requirements of humanity. Let's read that. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbour's. This law sums up the moral requirements of humanity. These ten precepts are amplified and applied in various statutes and judgments throughout the first five books of the Bible. These amplifications show what it meant to keep the law of God in various situations. Not unrelated are the civil laws. These, too, are based on the moral law. These define a citizen's relationship to civil authorities and to fellow citizens. They name the penalties for various infractions. The ceremonial law regulated the sanctuary ritual, describing the various offerings and the individual citizen's responsibilities. The feast days are specified and their observance defined. The health laws overlap the other laws. The various laws relating to uncleanness define ceremonial uncleanness, and yet they also go beyond this to include hygienic and health principles. Laws regarding clean and unclean meats are based on physical considerations. 
while the Jew probably largely thought of all these laws as a package, having all come from God, he or she must have made certain distinctions mentally. The Ten Commandments had been spoken by God directly to the people. This would set them apart as especially important. The other laws had been relayed through Moses. The sanctuary ritual could be kept only while a sanctuary was in operation. The civil laws, at least in large part, could no longer be imposed after the Jews lost their independence and came under the civil control of another nation. Many of the ceremonial precepts could no longer be observed after the temple was destroyed. Also, after the Messiah came, many of the types had met their antitypes and no longer had validity. Tuesday, October 10, as the custom of Moses. Question. Read Acts chapter 15, verse 1. What issue was causing dissension? Why would some people believe that this wasn't just for the Jewish nation? And also have a look at Genesis 17, verse 10. Let's start with Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren... Unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And we'll compare this with Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. While the apostles united with the ministers and lay members at Antioch in an earnest effort to win many souls to Christ... Certain Jewish believers from Judea, of the sect of the Pharisees, succeeded in introducing a question that soon led to widespread controversy in the church and brought consternation to the believing Gentiles. With great confidence, these teachers asserted that, in order to be saved, one must be circumcised and must keep the entire ceremonial law. The Jews, after all, always had prided themselves on their divinely appointed services, and many of those who had been converted to the faith of Christ still felt that since God had once clearly outlined the Hebrew manner of worship, it was impossible that he would ever authorize a change in any of its specifications. They insisted that the Jewish laws and ceremonies should be incorporated into the rites of the Christian religion they were slow to discern that all the sacrificial offerings had prefigured the death of the Son of God, in which type met antitype, and after which the rites and ceremonies of the Mosaic dispensation were no longer binding. Question. Read Acts chapter 15, verses 2 through to 12. How was this dispute to be settled? Acts 15, beginning at verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. 
And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Ellen White writes in The Acts of the Apostles, page 200, While looking to God for direct guidance, Paul was ever ready to recognize the authority vested in the body of believers united in church fellowship. He felt the need of counsel, and when matters of importance rose, he was glad to lay these before the church and to unite with his brethren in seeking God for wisdom to make right decisions. End of quote. It's interesting that Paul, who often talked about his prophetic calling and how Jesus called him and gave him his mission, was so willing to work with the larger church body. That is, whatever his calling, he realised that he was part of the church as a whole and that he needed to work with it as much as possible. And so to finish today, what is your attitude towards church leadership? How cooperative are you? Why is cooperation so important? How could we function if everyone was doing only what he or she wanted to do, independent of the larger body? Wednesday, October 11, The Gentile Believers Question. Read Acts chapter 15, verses 5 through to 29. What decision did the council come to, and what was its reasoning? Acts 15, beginning at verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when they had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. 
Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And... After they had become silent, James answered and said, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your soul, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. The decision was against the contentions of the Judaizers. These folk insisted that the Gentile converts be circumcised and keep the entire ceremonial law, and that the Jewish laws and ceremonies should be incorporated into the rites of the Christian religion. It's interesting to note, in Acts 15.10, the way in which Peter depicted these old laws as a yoke that they were unable to bear. Would the Lord, who instituted those laws, make them a yoke on his people? That hardly seems so. Instead, over the years, some of the leaders had through their oral traditions, turned many of the laws from the blessings they had meant to be into burdens. The council sought to spare Gentiles from these burdens. Notice, too, that there was no mention or question of the Gentiles who needed to obey the Ten Commandments. 
After all, could we imagine the council telling them not to eat blood, but that it was acceptable to ignore the commandments against adultery or murder and the like? Question. What rules were placed on the Gentile believers, and why these specific rules? Acts chapter 15 and verse 20. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. And verse 29. That you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Although Jewish believers weren't to impose their rules and tradition on the Gentiles, the council wanted to make sure that the Gentiles didn't do things that would have been deemed offensive to the Jews who were united with them in Jesus. The apostles and elders, therefore, agreed to instruct the Gentiles by letter to abstain from meats offered to idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. Some say that, because Sabbath-keeping wasn't specifically mentioned, it must not have been meant for the Gentiles. Of course, the commandments against lying and murder weren't specifically mentioned either, so that argument means nothing. And to finish the day, could we in some ways be laying on people burdens that are not necessary, but are more from tradition than divine command? If so, how? Bring your thoughts to class on Sabbath. Thursday, October 12, Paul and the Galatians. However clear the council, there were those who sought to go their own way and who continued to advocate that the Gentiles keep Jewish traditions and laws. For Paul, this became a very serious matter. That is, it wasn't trifling over the fine points of faith. It had become a denial of the gospel of Christ itself. Question. Read Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through to 12. How serious does Paul see the issue he is confronting in Galatia? What should that tell us about the importance of this question? Galatians 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? 
or do I seek to please men? If I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. As stated before, it was the Galatian situation that in large degree prompted the content of the letter to Rome. In the epistle to the Romans, Paul further develops the theme of the Galatian epistle. Some Jewish believers were contending that the law God had given them through Moses was important and should be observed by Gentile converts. Paul was trying to show its true place and function. He didn't want these people to gain a foothold in Rome as they had done in Galatia. It is an oversimplification to ask whether Paul is speaking of ceremonial or moral laws in Galatians and Romans. Historically, the argument was whether or not the Gentile converts should be required to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. The Jerusalem Council already had ruled on this question, but some refused to follow its decision. Some read in Paul's letters to the Galatians and the Romans evidence that the moral law, the Ten Commandments, or in truth only the Fourth Commandment, is no longer binding on Christians. Yet they are missing the point of the letters, missing the historical context, and issues that Paul was addressing. Paul, as we'll see, stressed that salvation was by faith alone and not by the keeping of the law, even the moral law. Yet, that isn't the same thing as saying that the moral law shouldn't be kept. Obedience to the Ten Commandments was never an issue. Those who make it an issue are reading back into texts a contemporary issue, one that Paul wasn't dealing with. And so to finish today, how do you respond to those who claim the Sabbath is no longer binding upon Christians? How can you show the truth of the Sabbath in a way that does not compromise the integrity of of the gospel. Friday, October 13. No doubt our church faces times of controversy and dissension, but there is nothing new in this. Satan has always been at war with the church. Even in the earliest days of Christianity, dissension and controversy arose in the ranks of the believers. And there was one controversy that, if not resolved, could have destroyed the church in its infancy. As Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 383, through the influence of false teachers who had arisen among the believers in Jerusalem, division, heresy and sensualism were rapidly gaining ground among the believers in Galatia. These false teachers were mingling Jewish traditions with the truths of the gospel. Ignoring the decision of the general council at Jerusalem, they urged upon the Gentile converts the observance of the ceremonial law. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 
1. In class, go over your answer to Wednesday's final question. In what ways might your local church, or you in your own home, or maybe even you with yourself, be laying burdens on others, or on yourself, that are not necessary? How can we recognise if we really are doing these things? Or might we be in danger of going too far the other way? That is, How can we recognise if we have become too lax in our lifestyles and standards to the point where our lives don't reflect the high calling that we have in Christ? 2. What are some of the arguments that people use to claim that the Ten Commandments are no longer binding on Christians today? How do we answer those claims? Why, on the face of it, are those arguments so wrong And why, in many cases, do those who make them not really live as if they believe the Ten Commandments are no longer binding? 3. Read again Galatians 1, verses 1 to 12. Notice how uncompromising, how dogmatic, and how fervent Paul was regarding his understanding of the Gospel. What should that tell us about how we must stand absolutely unwaveringly on certain beliefs, especially in a day and age of pluralism and relativism? How does this show that certain teachings cannot be compromised in any way? Let's begin with Galatians 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preached any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men, or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And question four. In class, talk about the issues that brought about the Protestant Reformation. What basic differences have not been resolved? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled One Year in Mission, Part 1. Anna was certain that God led her to study at Saratov State University, located beside the famous Volga River in Russia. 
Now she was graduating with a degree in biology, but as she searched for a job, nothing could be found. God, she prayed, I don't know why I can't find a job, but I know you provided this education and that you have something in mind for me. God did have plans for Anna, much bigger than she imagined. One day, the youth director of the Volga Conference asked Anna if she would be interested in serving in the One Year in Mission, OYIM, program, a special general conference initiative to give young adults opportunities to participate in the Mission to the Cities outreach. Yes, I really want to do something for God, Anna responded. She soon learned that she was chosen to represent the Euro-Asia Division in the OYIM program launching in New York City in 2013. Anna arrived in New York on January 24, 2013 and immediately joined the 13 other young adults representing all divisions and attached fields of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The young people received leadership training in community service, evangelism and medical missionary work and communication. After New York, they took their practical experience and training back to their divisions and trained a team of 10 volunteers coming from each union in their division. In this way, the missionary effect would multiply. We used Christ's method alone, mingling with people and understanding their needs, giving Bible studies and inviting them to follow Jesus, Anna said. Every day, the OYIM missionaries knocked on doors. Hello, we've recently moved here and just wanted to greet you. We're your new neighbours, they said. Most of those visited were from India or Nepal and some invited the missionaries in for a chat. When we talked together... They became our friends, Anna said. We asked if they wanted to study the Bible, and many agreed. Often we prayed with them. Sometimes I have blinus, that's a thin Russian pancake, and delivered them to the neighbours, telling them I just wanted to let them know God loves them. In addition to her neighbourhood activities, Anna was assigned to work in an Adventist church located in a Spanish-speaking community. Many of the residents wanted to learn English, so Anna and others started free English classes at the Adventist Church. People were so happy, Anna said. We began every lesson with a Bible verse, explaining the grammar and the meaning of the verse. After the lessons, we invited them to come back to the evening evangelistic programs. We made many contacts in this way. And this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story at the end of next week's Sabbath School lesson. We'll see you then. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harrell. It was recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind. This podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel.